Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we've entered a new phase in uh, pro-life activity in the United States. And we're doing our best to keep you informed. We expect uh, just about daily to have updates from the pro-life front. Uh, I do want to remind you, though, of Wednesday, June 29th, okay, between 8 and 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, there's going the Pro-Life Partners Foundation, um, .org, are putting on a Life Beyond Roe webinar. It's an important nationwide webcast. 35-plus top leaders are going to give three minutes each on what's next for the pro-life movement after the DOPS decision. Uh, we have this posted at our website in the upper left-hand corner of the homepage there, so you can get more information. But uh, this, is a, this is a great piece of work that they're doing Wednesday night between, uh, uh, seven, uh, between 8 and 10 p.m. What I'd like to do right now is expose a common rhetorical ploy which is used by those who refuse to recognize the common humanity of the preborn child. It, this was done by actress Anne Hathaway uh, this weekend. She put a viral uh, a post that went viral, and um, apparently she was reading a newspaper last Friday or Saturday and saw a story about overturning Roe v. Wade juxtaposed next to a story about the shortage of baby formula. And this angered her, and she went ahead and laid out a social media post that went viral. This is what she said, quote, What makes me angry is the people that are cheering for the overturning of Roe v. Wade will not have a conversation about that point in the future when those two stories intersect. That is the story of uh, ending abortion and the story of, I guess, ending the shortage of baby formula. And the people who've been working so hard to overturn Roe v. Wade have done so without making any effort at creating a more fair, just, and equitable society, and affordable, by the way, in which to have children. I'm not someone who likes shaming people, but like I said, I'm angry. Well, you know, Anne Hathaway is a talented and popular actress who's given us some very entertaining roles. But on her central point here, she's just dead wrong. And it makes me wonder if she actually knows and talks with any pro-life people in her social circle, or if her impressions are derived from media pundits. You know, I've been immersed in the pro-life movement since the late 1970s. Pro-life people are always willing to discuss better ways to improve the lot of pregnant women. Um, we're glad to improve the lot of abortion-minded women in the hope that they will bring their new life into the world. We don't turn people away. Uh, I, I was part of a movement that created a crisis pregnancy center back in 1981. My wife served as the first president of it. Uh, and we've been monitoring, you know, the you might say, the benevolence of the pro-life movement ever since. Uh, on the other hand, though, those who champion abortion rights don't contribute anything to the discussion, but rancor. They, they just dismiss and trash our interest in protecting unborn life. Why Hathaway's text went viral is, is not clear at all. Maybe it's simply that she's a celebrity, and somehow her opinion supposedly weighs more than that of non-celebrities. But her point is really unremarkable. In fact, it's tired, it's been made often, and it's rooted in ignorance. Her argument goes like this. If you really believe the unborn were human lives, you'd provide X, Y, Z amount of social services. Now, nobody ever says exactly what social services would be enough. And Ms. Hathaway is actually clueless about the range of services already provided by pro-life pro organizations 
in hope that abortion would become both unnecessary and unthinkable. Over the last 40 years, we've seen over 3,000 pregnancy centers opened to provide moral, spiritual, financial, and material support to women who may have been abortion-minded. Now, I wonder, when Anne Hathaway would oppose killing unborn children? When, when would she say enough social services have been provided to say no to abortion? She's engaging in a common ploy by those who don't want to address the central issue in the debate. And the central issue in the debate is the common humanity we share with the unborn. When we kill the unborn, we execute ourselves in effigy, for we were once as the unborn is. With the overturning of Roe, the pro-life movement has finally removed the giant boulder that was obstructing our way to a pro-life America. But overturning Roe is not the same as protecting the unborn. We've now replaced that one massive boulder with 50 smaller stones of uneven size and weight that now make the road to a pro-life America very rough and rocky. But at least we can now move forward state by state. Understandably, people are laying out what they believe is necessary to win lasting legal protection for the preborn. In The Atlantic, David French wrote that, quote, a just society protects all life and a moral society values all life. Would anyone disagree uh, that a just society protects all human beings? Uh, who wants a society that protects only some human beings, right? Even those who favor abortion still think all human life should be protected. They simply redefine the life in the womb as subhuman, a clump of cells, not quite a person, merely potential life. So what David French thought was non-controversial, a just society protects all life, is exactly what makes the abortion debate so controversial. Is the preborn life in the womb truly human life worthy of protection? So yes, everyone agrees that a just society protects all human life, and a moral society values all human life. But not all people share a common definition for human life. And to say that a just society protects all human life assumes that we all agree about what defines who is human and who is not. French went on in the piece to praise Mitt Romney's Family Security Act, and he suggests that this is the kind of legislation that pro-life people must create and enact to create the social conditions in which human life can flourish. Uh, I, I assume he's saying that we need to do more than merely protect preborn human life. We must also create a good world for those unborn children. Well, Sure, in principle, you know, who can disagree? Uh, how to go about it is always the problem. No matter how much is provided, and this keep this in mind, no matter how much is provided for freeborn children and pregnant mothers, it will never be enough for those who don't believe that preborn human lives are worthy of protection. This debate is not about how we will provide for women in poverty or in troubled marriages or who are addicted to OxyContin, or who need more education or medical care. This debate is fundamentally about identifying the preborn child as my neighbor, my, truly, my neighbor. You know, a few years ago, a woman started a GoFundMe page claiming she was pregnant, and she needed money to bring her child to term. She said, if I raise a million dollars in the next week, I will bring my baby to term. You can save my baby, end quote. Well, that's what I'm talking about. She's holding her baby hostage until we pay the ransom. No, Romney's Family Security Act might be a very good thing, 
a Catholic Vote, a Family Research Council, National Right to Life Committee, Susan B. Anthony List, and other pro-life organizations seem to have gotten behind the Family Security Act. And, yeah, I think more can be done to create better social conditions for unborn children. But unless I'm convinced that the unborn are my neighbor, real human persons, then I won't ultimately be committed to their long-term care. Those who deny the full humanity of the preborn will be toying with the sentiments of pro-life people. They will say, you can't really believe in the humanity of the unborn unless you support this or that piece of legislation. Support my poverty bill. Support so-and-so's education bill. If you really want to prove that you're pro-life, I mean, this is like, again, I'll only receive the unborn child as truly human if you prove to me that you care enough to vote for this piece of social legislation. Again, that's holding the unborn hostage until you meet my ransom demand. So our position is quite different. The pro-life position is quite different. We might well believe that we need to improve social conditions. Most pro-life people believe that. But first of all, we believe that the preborn are a good to be protected, even if born into poverty, even if born into unstable, violent homes, even if born into deformity. We want to eliminate those terrible conditions. But it is the height of arrogance to tell human beings like unborn children who cannot communicate or reason or stand up for themselves that they are better off dead than being born into oppressive social environments. It is not just arrogant, but it's also hypocritical because we know from our own experience that we would choose life and survival over death no matter how poor our social environment. So prepare yourselves uh, for those who will try to hold the life of the unborn hostage unless you agree to their demands. Remember always, the unborn want to be born. Just like your first instinct is survival, even under difficult conditions. Now, you know, let me just add something here uh, to that. We often don't think enough about ourselves in this discussion. We have an instinct for survival, all of us. We respect that instinct for survival. What is it about us that refuses to respect that, respect that infant instinct for survival among the unborn? You can see there's extraordinary hypocrisy here. And um, we're not only arrogant by telling the unborn that they wouldn't want to be born into this world. We're also hypocritical by telling them that their instinct for survival isn't worth responding to. There's quite a bit more to say about the barriers that we're going to be facing here. We've got one major cultural barrier, which I'll talk about sometime later this week, is uh, America's kind of hyper-individualism. I mean, it pits mother against child. It pits the individual against tradition, against custom, you know, against the church, uh, against the state. I mean, think of the great American novelist Mark Twain, the great hero, Huck Finn. Think about Scarlett O'Hara and Gone with the Wind, or the first great American philosophical movement, the Transcendentalists, Henry David Thoreau, Ralph Waldo Emerson, or the legendary leaders of industry like Andrew Carnegie or John Rockefeller, or in our own day, Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. 
Think of the great movies, all individuals who are pushing back against some sort of oppressive condition. Top Gun, both the first and now the new one, Rocky, Shawshank Redemption, the Dirty Harry movies. Chariots of Fire is especially interesting because in this case, the hero submits to God's law, but what makes him a hero in the movie is his standing up to the British crown. Individualism is the core of American culture, and it continues today. That's going to have to be faced as we try to uh, speak about our common humanity, our commonness with our own kind called the unborn. I'm Al Cresta. We've got a lot more coming up. And remember, Wednesday night, 8 o'clock, Life Beyond Row, 35 top leaders reveal what's next for the pro-life movement after the Dobbs decision.